Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of God. People don't like being weak, and yet we all have weakness. We have it in different areas of our lives. Some people are very strong in some areas, but weak in others, and there's different things we could do about it. We could ignore the areas where we're weak and focus where we're strong, or we could try to be well-rounded. But within specific categories, whether it's physical health, whether it's the way we relate to people, whether it's our job, in any of the, the categories, each of us have strengths and weaknesses, um, but if our weaknesses are too great and our strength is too few, uh, that's a really hard situation to be in. It's discouraging. Most of us don't do very well in those situations at all. The Christmas story is a story about the strength and power of God, but it's an interesting story because it involves a birth and because of the way we think about children these days that we love and value and appreciate children, we don't always appreciate how profound it is that when Jesus chose to arrive, because the Bible says he existed prior to his birth, that's sort of a unique claim, um, but why does he choose to come to earth having been born? Well, that's a complex theological issue, but, but right at the outset, he comes in vulnerability. He comes in weakness. He is fully dependent. He can't say what he wants. <laughs> he can't advocate for himself. He can't feed himself. He can't walk. He came like every other baby. And the passage we looked at last week, and people are out to kill him, Herod and others. And so it's this remarkable story that, that Jesus chooses vulnerability, chooses to come via infancy, that that's an important component of the Christmas story. And therefore, the Christmas story, which is a story about strength and power and joy, is a story that includes people in their weakness. It's a story that brings strength to people who are overwhelmed and struggling. And maybe this year, more than previous years, you are finding you're needing that because you're experiencing or you're in tune with weakness. This last year has exposed a lot of vulnerabilities with everything from, from the systems, our hospital systems, and how we deliver food and how we provide aid and supports for people. Um, all of these systems have been stressed, and we've seen a lot of them break down, but our own personal systems uh, break down. And a lot of us are feeling incompetent, hopeless, unable, weaknesses being shown. Um, here, here's an analogy for you with a, with a tire. You could think of this with a car tire, but with a bicycle tire. 
you want your tube on the inside to be intact and, and the, uh, the tire around it protects the tube, but also has contact with the ground. But, um, but there are vulnerabilities. If you run over a nail or a piece of glass, it could pierce through the tire and into the tube and it could take all the air out. And sometimes if you have a, something big and obvious gash, it's easy to repair the, the, the tube, but sometimes you can't see where the hole is. All you know is every time you put air in, you know, 20 minutes later, you have less air. An hour later, you can't ride your bike. And there's this interesting phenomenon called a, a pinch flat. So let's say you're riding up on a curb and the back tire hits the curb hard. Even though nothing pierces it, the force of the pressure can cause two holes around where, around where the, the force was. So you can open it up and do all this work to try to find where the hole is and repair it. And then you put it in and you inflate it. And then an hour later, uh, it's out of air again. And so you wonder, is there something wrong with my patch? And, and you don't realize actually you fixed one hole, but, but something happened that there's another hole. I'm using this as an analogy, but I'm wondering how many of you feel like the air is, is going out of your life that in this last year, you know, you're a troubleshooter, a problem solver, you know that you need to be proactive. And so you're sort of patching things, but you're finding yourself just tiring. You're finding yourself feeling like I, I can't even see where the hole is. All I know is I'm feeling deflated. Um, this month, we as a church are looking at one particular Christmas hymn called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a great hymn for every Christmas. The, the words were originally penned 1,200 years ago. Uh, it's a beautiful setting, the, the modern setting. We typically sing it in. So many wonderful things about it. But why I think it's a good hymn for this season, because like Christmas hymns, it's a song of joy. And so the chorus is rejoice, rejoice. And that's really what the Christmas season is about. When we remember the story of the birth of Jesus, it's a story of great joy. But what's good about this particular hymn is the singing of Rejoice is sang quite slowly, quite thoughtfully, quite humbly. We pretty much uh, think more easily in the extremes. Joy is about thunderous clapping, dance, and then when we don't have joy, we, we collapse. Uh, we have no energy. We're deflated. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is an important part of the Christmas Christian experience because there's lament, there's a longing, there, there's prayer, honestly confessing, Lord, we need you to come. Why? Because a number of things are not good. Our lives are lacking. We are weak. And yet we're still rejoicing. And it's, it's that that few of us could, could get our hands on. When, when things go well and we feel strong, there's joy. And when we feel weak, there's not. And it's either one or the other. Christianity provides an increasing provision of something that gives strength so that even when we feel we're weak, we, we are invited into the rejoicing. And so each week we're looking at a, we're considering a different stanza. This week, uh, I'm not gonna say a lot about the hymn, I'm looking at this passage that was read, but the stanza, you know, what do we ask for in our longing? That's why we're looking at the hymn. Last week, uh, we looked at uh, Come Thou Key of David, that the, uh, the uh, the root of David, um, of Jesse, the stump of Jesse. We looked at that. This week, we're looking at the, the, the prayer, come, O come, Lord of might. We're remembering that the God we serve is powerful. So in our weakness, our prayer is a prayer for God's coming. How do we want him to come? We want him to come with might, with strength. And, and the, the rest of that stanza in the hymn 
uh, speaks of the Lord of might who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. So it takes you back to the second book of the Bible, the story of Exodus, where God shows his power with an outstretched arm. He delivers his people from Pharaoh, the most powerful human figure they could have conceived of. God showed he's more powerful and he brings them out, but then he brings them to a mountain, Sinai, and he's going to make himself and his ways known to them by giving them the law. But there's thunder and there, there's lightning. The, the evidence of the, the power of God's presence is so awesome that they're terrified that even though this God has just acted on their behalf, heard their cries, brought them out and stood on their behalf against others. Now they come before him and they're so terrified. They say, Moses, be our mediator. Go up the mountain. We don't want to go near it. We're afraid if we touch the mountain, we're going to die. There's a sense in which this was a community that understood the mightiness of God. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, Lord, we're languishing. We're overwhelmed. The, the powers of this world are against us. Come again, Lord of might. That's part of this song that we're going to be singing. We, we missed our chance to sing it earlier this morning, but we'll, it's scheduled for next week. We'll get a chance to sing it next week. But today we're looking at a different song. We're looking at the Song of Mary from Luke chapter one. And it's a song that actually is the kind of song we think of when we think of a song of strength. <laughs> um, you could set songs in different ways, but I imagine this song of Mary that Bea read for us, um, you would set it with energy, with enthusiasm. This is a moment in Mary's life where she feels empowered. She has a sense of God's presence and power on her behalf. And so she rejoices. And so, so even if this year, your singing is a little bit more in the, the tune, the tempo, the pitch of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You don't have the energy, but you're invited to sing. You're invited to, to seek after greater joy, even if it's a, a singing with longing. Yet we should still look at this original Christmas song, <laughs> uh, this song of Mary, that's a song of strength. And, and, and the way I want us to consider it this morning is through this idea of magnification. And so in talking about magnification, I'm going to talk about three things. And where I'm going to begin is with the magnification of our lives. But then I want to say something about the magnification of ourselves and the magnification of God. But I'm going to begin with the magnification of our lives. Now, the, the idea of magnification, this song that was read, the Song of Mary, is often called the Magnificat. That's the Latin word uh, from, the, from the Latin translation, where in verse 46, she begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Some modern translations say glorify, but what are we doing with glorify is we're magnifying the greatness, the glory. So, so the concept of magnification could be helpful for us because this is what Mary does when she sees the greatness of God and his kindness to her specifically. Her desire is to, is to celebrate the greatness, the vastness, the power. That's part of this story. Um, and we see that in, in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. So, 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 O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a different song from a different time, but come, O come, thou Lord of might. You see, it has that Christmas theme. Verse 49, he was mighty, has done great things for me. Verse 51, he has shown great strength with his arm, at least one aspect of what Mary's celebrating. And you could look at this passage in numerous ways. We could preach it every year and, and find different things in it. But this year I'm highlighting Mary's rejoicing at God's strength. So her soul magnifies God. And, and where I want to talk about the magnification of our lives, because 
inevitably, each of us wants to grow. <laughs> we want to be magnified. We want to be seen. We want to accomplish things. We want to be appreciated. And therefore, to be strengthened in those desires, we look to the things that will make us great. And so we magnify other things. I mean, if you, if you imagine hypothetically, if everything in the world was of equal weight and equal size, well, there are certain things we see have greater potential for those goals. And so money may be something that becomes a bit larger in our lives, because if I have that, I'll have influence, I'll have ability to make choices, I'll have people do things for me. If I could have career success, if I could magnify that. So we have these various things that we magnify in our lives, because we hope that if we magnify the right things and participate in them, we will be magnified, we will grow, we will be stronger. And strength and magnification go together. If you imagine, typically, uh, what do strong people look like? I imagine most of you would imagine somebody who's physically large. Um, and there is a correlation, although sometimes when you talk about, well, what kind of strength? So for there's these interesting videos online, um, bodybuilders. I mean, is that not the picture of ultimate strength, people who look thoroughly powerful because they're so big and muscular. There are these videos where they say, well, could the bodybuilder take the Navy, the Navy SEALs test? And so you have these Navy SEALs that in their uniforms, they don't look big and muscular, but they're quite strong. And then these bodybuilders that, that um, they, they get out of breath halfway through because their strength is very specific. They're able to push a lot of weight, um, but, but they have weakness in, the, in their lung and heart capacity. Um, there's a similar thing going on that, that when we conceive of strength, the warning of the Bible is be careful conceiving of it as the world conceives of it. Because yes, being strong in certain ways, magnifying certain things will give you power, authority, whatever it is. But the Bible is saying um, there's such limitation that there's a danger if you magnify the wrong things. If, if something seems great and it's not actually great, you're going to be found being weak in a time of testing. And so, so here in view from Mary um, is a theology that says she's built her life trusting God and it's left her in a community that looks weak. And now this moment comes with the arrival, the, and, and Jesus has not yet been born. This is still the Advent season. But Mary hears the message of the angel, the promise that, that the fulfillment of what God has said will come. Now is a time for rising up, a time for strength. And her theology is to realize that she herself is nobody of influence, of important, her people are not. But if God is going to act on their behalf, well, then the magnification of God will be good news for those that the world thinks is weak. But it's going to demonstrate that strength as the world conceives of it is quite limited. It's, it, you know, there's a lot of air in there. You, you know, you puncture it and then, it goes away quite quickly. And so in verse 51, we get an insight. What is the nature of the human problem? It's a magnification problem. Verse 51, God scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And the problem with pride is, is pride is, is, is the desire for the inflation of the self. Rather than being in tune with our inherent weakness, and so we're tempted to, to quickly inflate ourselves. So we inflate other things or we see the things that other people inflate, they magnify. And we think if I could attach myself to those things, I will be magnified. And we build these very weak and vulnerable lives without knowing it. And so, so in view here is the proud. 
And it's a little bit more complicated than our simplistic category. So for example, in verse 52, the mighty in their throne. So here's political power. Here's the CEO or the chairman of the board or the gang leader or whoever it is in whatever sphere, the principal of the school, whoever has power and authority. Uh, verse 53, he sends the rich away heaven, he, uh, empty. Um, the people who think their lives are full because of the acquiring of resources. See, a simplistic reading of this would be contrary to the simplistic lives that we live. Simplistically, we think if I could get money, if I could get a position of power, then I will be strong. And the simplistic response is no, we can't have any of those things. And so either we, uh, we build up wealth and power or we idealize poverty and weakness. And Jesus is navigating a way that's a little bit more nuanced because at the end of the day, somebody needs to be in charge. And so power and authority in itself is not a problem, but the proud uh, seeking after power and authority is where things go wrong. And on the other hand, we can say, oh, the poor don't need our resources because resources are superficial, but people need to eat. <laughs> people need have basic needs. And so it's not as simple as saying nobody should have power or nobody should have resources, nor should we say that power and resources are everything. Jesus is doing something that's going to stretch every one of us but it's gonna force us to say you're magnifying the wrong things. And to this degree, when you allow Jesus to be your teacher and your guide, you find that he's always gonna challenge you. He's always gonna leave you confused, but he will mature you so that you don't wind up simplistically wasting your life running after power and success and money, nor do you find yourself in some, you know, some super spiritual way renouncing it all in a way that's odd and doesn't lead to your own flourishing. But Jesus is going to address something much deeper. He's going to work on the pride of your heart. That's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be enjoyable, but it will leave you stronger. If you allow uh, humility, something that's, that's supposed to be a source of true strength, uh, to come about. And so um, the, the, uh, the magnification that happens tests what we magnify. So, for example, if you're building a website, you would think you, you want a good looking website. So you want very high resolution images that the highest quality pictures that you can possibly imagine on your website, except then your website loads very slowly. <laughs> and before these beautiful images load, people give up and they click off. So, so you actually don't want super high resolution pictures on your website uh, because if the picture is appearing quite small and if it's gonna be on somebody's phone, you want it to load quickly. And so there are other ways of making sure the picture looks nice. But I don't know if it's ever happened that you, you see this small picture on a website and you think, I wanna, I'm, I'm gonna um, screenshot it and insert it in my PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and then you try to enlarge it and, and, and all of a sudden you get beyond the two inches that it's meant to be on their own website and it pixelates and it gets blurry and it gets fuzzy until sometimes it's just no longer an attractive picture or you enlarge it enough that you can't even make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. When Jesus talks about power and positions of authority and responsibility, and when he talks about money, he's not saying do away with it completely. He's saying these things have their small place in our lives. The problem with humanity is we start to inflate them, but we don't recognize that as they start to distort, that, that they're no longer serving their purpose. <laughs> that image was meant to be on a website, not meant to be in a huge frame in your wall. If you're looking for something big on your wall, don't screenshot it from a website. And he's saying similarly, yeah, you're gonna need money in life. You need to buy food. <laughs> it's, it's okay to work. Um, 
but, but is your whole life attached to thinking the more money, the more you will be? Well, at that point, uh, the money will start to show that it was never meant to do that. And the problem is, if your own magnification is tied to that, you're going to find the distortion. All of a sudden, your life is not going to make sense. All of a sudden, anything good in you will not be seen and perceived by others. And so um, how will you and your life stand up to scrutiny? <laughs> If a magnifying glass is put on your life, I mean, on the one hand, we, we have this dual uh, struggle in us. We want to be seen. We want to be recognized, but we want to be seen in a certain way. We want to be admired. So we have this desire to magnify our lives, but we also have this great fear because of our shame that if, if the whole of our lives are seen, uh, we don't, there's certain things we certainly don't want magnified. And so this game we play to carefully magnify things, Jesus says, we tend not to exercise wisdom in that. In our pride, we magnify the wrong things and we have these artificial vulnerable lives. And he's saying, I'm actually gonna put a spotlight on some things. I'm gonna teach you, but if you don't listen, you're gonna find that the air is gonna go out of your life and you're never gonna be able to find where, where the gaps are. So Mary begins by magnifying the Lord. That's where, that's where we're going to land at the end of the sermon. But, uh, but it's worth evaluating at this time of year where, where for so many of us, the things that normally are a source of strength, a source of joy, um, no matter what we're bringing into, the more we shop, the, the more we're not satisfied this year. The more we hope that, that COVID will end, the more we get anxious when, when the news comes and says, well, not so fast. You're not high on the, the vaccine priority list yet. This is a hard season, but it's a season where if what's going out of our lives are things that were not necessarily meant to be as large as they were, and if God is still breathing life into you, this could be a valuable season, and it means you can, you can sing, sing that the Lord of might would come, that there would be strength in your life, but also sing the chorus, rejoice, rejoice that even if this is a time of of letting go of some things. And again, I wanna be careful here because some of you are, have faced real, real deep problems. And so I, I'm not trying to give a superficial answer to people who are struggling deeply. I'm saying more generally, nearly all of us are struggling in some way. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to, to reconsider as my life is being deflated, what are the things that I hoped would, would build me up? Because their deflation could in some ways be a kindness to the Lord. Now, as you look in your life, you may say, no, some of the things being deflated, um, it's not good. And so, so think about it, <laughs> talk with others about it, pray about it. But I think all of us uh, could benefit from, from revisiting, what is it that I want great in my life if I want my life to be great? So that's all I'm gonna say there. Um, the magnification of our lives will tell us things. But here's secondly, the magnification of ourselves. The distinction here between what I just said is, is uh, you know, in the previous point, I'm talking about the things in our lives, but, but now let's talk about us. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about you. Because at the end of the day, we want to magnify things in our lives so that our own lives will be magnified. What is it that really leads to a growing self, a, a growing personhood? This song of rejoicing, this song of strength and confidence that Mary sings, she sings it with great joy and confidence, but she sings it from a posture, not of pride, but of humility. In verse 48, speaking of God, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, calling, calling herself a servant, says 
how she conceives of herself. Her humble estate, and you read Mary and Joseph, this wasn't false humility. They were people without a lot of money. And yet she's rejoicing. Why? Because he, the one that we know is great, has looked on the humble. And, and this is the way the world works. We're constantly inflating things. So we inflate power and we inflate wealth. And therefore the people who have power and wealth become the ones that we see. And the people without uh, physical abilities, the people without high competence, the people without big support systems wind up a bit invisible in the way the world inflates things. Mary says, there's nothing greater than God and his power and might. The one who brought his people out of Egypt, the one who with thunder and lightning and by his finger carved in stone his word for us and who has visited us time and time again. Mary says, this God looked down on the earth and he didn't come to Caesar and he didn't come to Herod and he didn't even come to our high priest, but he came to me. And that's the source of her strength. The greatness of God doesn't make her shrink back and feel like she's nobody. She says, God sees differently than the great people of the world. And he looks, and this is what we've always believed. But Mary says, now it's true in my life. He sees me. He looked on the humble estate of his servant. And that is what Christianity offers. Theologically, there's no one, nothing more conceivably great than God. And part of his greatness is that he looks and he sees, not as the world sees, but he sees through the superficiality. And therefore, the humble are seen and loved and cared for. And so what we're told is don't pursue the artificial things that will give you a false sense of pride, but pursue what's really a value because that's what God is looking for. So verse 49, he has done great things for me. Now, this is Mary's song. <clears throat> She's a unique person historically. God has taken this very humble person and made her great. It's, these are her words. But yet she does say in verse 54, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So, so this is not a song about us. It's about what God did through Mary by giving birth to Jesus. Let's remember the uniqueness of it. But she sings as part of a community that says, but every generation of our people have hoped and longed for the God of might to come. And he came again and therefore may the future generations also know that when God comes, he comes in might. He shows his strength. Um, but he sees even the humble, and therefore it's hopeful. It's a source of strength for the longing, for the weak, for the hurting. And so <clears throat> how we see God, part of, part of the, the task of theology and Jesus as the teacher, he's going to retrain us to understand the world differently, but to see God differently, because God's power and might has the complexity we otherwise don't have, because his power and might is not like worldly power and might, because it's not a power of pride. And yet we think of Jesus humble and lowly, gentle. And we think, well, that's nice. He cares for me in my weakness, but, but he has no power. The thing that we have trouble grasping is, is the greatness of God is in his power and might, but also in his kindness and compassion. And our minds can't hold that together, but we're told keep returning to God and rest in him. And that will be the actual source of your strength. And is that revelation of God in his, in his mercy, but also his power that we need. There's a story I heard years ago, and I, I don't know if it's true. It was told to me, and, and th so this was about the boxer Mike Tyson when he was in his prime. So this was the late 1980s, 
And I remember somebody telling me a story that somebody had told him that he thought was funny and I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. And so whether or not it, it's true, but this is the story that went around. I think it, it's an illustration. Apparently he was in a public restroom going to the bathroom and he was in the stall. And somebody came in and had to go to the bathroom and sort of banging on the door and arrogantly, hey, get out, I need to get in there. And, and, and Tyson uh, had this, for a guy his, his height and stature, had a, had a bit of a high voice, <laughs> he had a bit of a lisp. And so he answers from behind the stall, yeah, I'll be right out, hold on. <laughs> and uh, so it emboldened this guy to bang hard on the door, you know, come on, get out. Um, and if you've never seen Mike Tyson, uh, certainly in the late 1980s, very muscular, very powerful, but famous for beating, being this unbeatable fighter. When that door opened, the guy whose imagination was maybe picturing somebody that looked a little bit more like a pastor, uh, when she found the boxer, uh, when the guy found the boxer opening the door, he realized the, uh, the voice did not match the person. And apparently he immediately went to begging, Mike, you're the greatest, you're the king, and, and uh, tried to, to make sure that Mr. Tyson did not also demonstrate his power in that bathroom. Christianity is so attractive to the vulnerable because Jesus comes in humility. He comes and he says, I'm not here to crush you, I'm here to invite you to come with me. But what happens is we forget that Christianity is a message of strength. It's a, it's a revelation of a God who is powerful. And the mistake we make when we're seeking after power is to think, oh, Jesus is for the pathetic. <laughs> well, he is, and that's good news, because at some point you're going to find you have weakness that you do not yet know. But it's when those who, who come face to face with their own weakness and think nobody now that has any strength to do anything for me will want to, to come to me to say that he who is mighty has done great things for me. He looks upon the humble estate of a servant. Well, what good is that to have some other weak, pathetic person come into my life? <laughs> look out, look for the thunder and lightning. Look at the one who overthrew Pharaoh and who will overthrow every king until he is clearly the king of kings. That's what we're told, that the magnification of ourselves does not come from the lives we build for ourselves, but it's the work of God who looks upon us and in grace, when he sends Jesus into our lives, he begins to magnify us. He makes us great. And, and, and that's the Christian way. It's a, it's a very different way that we don't magnify ourselves by running after the things that are magnified. But when we see the true greatness of God, well, then actually strength starts to come into our lives. And that's uh, this context here. And so here's the last thing that I want to talk about is the magnification of God. So the magnification of our lives, we'll, we'll look at the things of our lives and we're told, be careful what you think is important because what you're trying to do is magnify yourself. That was the second thing, but, but you don't magnify yourself. Actually, if God will start to make you great by pouring into your life, then there's true strength. And so how do we do that? Well, what Mary did is she didn't magnify herself, but in her humility, she magnified the Lord. So that's, that's the opening verses. My soul magnifies the Lord. In verse 40, 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her source of joy was not that everybody came to her first and foremost and said, Mary, look how wonderful you are. But she, now she knew that she would be admired, not for anything she had done, but because God had visited her and God was going to do something far greater than anybody could imagine in their own life by 
allowing the savior of his people uh, to be born through her. And so uh, she magnifies the Lord. Now, now again, there's this balance in Christianity that the greatness of God, his might and his power is also balanced by the mercy of God. So there's another hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. We sing Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. And it's that combination that God is mighty, but God is merciful. That's hard for us to really grasp and hold together. But when we get it, as Mary gets in this moment, then we have the occasion for rejoicing. And so verse 47, my spirit rejoices. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. That's the contrast to the pride. The, pride. Uh, the proud don't fear anyone or anything. And they're actually weak. But those who revere the Lord understand his might, but don't shrink away because they don't feel good enough, but they draw near because they know that the mighty is also merciful. That's what brings joy uh, to people's lives. And, and isn't that the Christmas story that when Jesus came in his power, he's born as an infant. And it's that reminder that he comes unable to speak before he became the great teacher, unable to move before he traveled to call people to himself, unable to raise his hand before as an adult, he could cast demons out of people and heal the blind. And before he had lived the upright life that qualified him to offer himself on our behalf on the cross. Before any of these things, he made himself like us, first and foremost, utterly helpless and dependent. And yet through the provision and protection of God, through the fullness of God's spirit, through the image of God, through his unique being, he grows up to be somebody that when the time comes, what does he do with the strength and the power and the wisdom that he has? He doesn't put a golden crown on his head and he doesn't put a, a, a purple robe on, but he allows the people of the powers of this world to ridicule him by putting a crown of thorns on him and by putting on something that's meant to mock him to say, your power is not like the world's power. And only then would we find out no, because his power, while greater than any of the world's power, is a power that first comes into the world through mercy, before in the future it will come in a revelation of thunder and lightning. And what we're told is, therefore, don't live a life of pride, thinking that your power is greater than the king that God has appointed. But see that he comes as the king to rule over us, and that when we humble ourselves, we follow a pattern, which is that Jesus doesn't just come to tell us that he's mighty, but he comes to the lowest place before being raised to the highest place. And we are, we are told if you will believe in him, there is forgiveness, there is pardon. You and all of your weakness and flaws, the mistakes you've made and the things that you've been trying to fix that you just can't fix. God brings grace, he brings cleansing, he brings forgiveness. His power comes into your life, not to make you instantly perfect and strong, but to unite you to him who is. And that changes the course of our lives. It becomes a source of strength because at the end of the day, all of us face things that we can't control, that we don't understand. But we're told it's not that you need more strength and you need more power. We're told is you need to make sure you don't face them alone. <laughs> so, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, Lord of might. That's what a lot of us have been praying these last few months. Some of you have been praying it for years. Some of you will be praying it in this season. Come, Lord of might, I'm weak. The joy is going out from me. 
The Christmas story reminds us that he came in weakness and vulnerability in order to give us his strength. And if he went down before going up, we're told sometimes in life we will go down too. But we're told if you're connected to him, there's always a bottom. There's always a, a going up. There's a book by a guy named Paul Miller. Paul Miller, um, he has a great book on prayer called The Praying Life. He actually spoke at one of our retreats some years ago. Uh, if you want a good book on prayer, that's a good book. He has another book called The J-Curve. Now, he didn't, he didn't invent that concept. It's a, con, it's a concept of economics. And, you know, when I, uh, I think it has to do with currencies or there's different applications. But the letter J, you know, there's this sense in which sometimes before you, you know, before you do great things, you have to go down a little bit. You have to invest. You have, there's a cost. Uh, Paul Miller talks about the pattern of Jesus. So he takes the J in Jesus and says, that's his pattern. Looking at Philippians 2, you can read that, that he humbles himself, taking the form of a servant in order to come to the humble, the servants but he is exalted, he's lifted up, and he's gonna bring those from the bottom with him. What Miller says, if that's the pattern of Jesus's life, that, that if God allows his own beloved servant to, to go to descend before ascending, but the ascension is higher. So we have to understand that part of the process in our lives is that at times there is a humbling. There is what feels to us like a weakening and a loss of everything that will give us strength and hope. But we're told is if you're not proud and if you're not apart from God and if you're not in competition with God, but if you are instead a servant, if you are one who humbly comes and, and receives what he offers you in Christ, then when we're losing air, when, we're, uh, when, when the things that had empowered us are, are dwindling, if we're not alone, but we're with Christ, we're told at some point there will be a turnaround. And, and that's the practice of faith. You know, the context of this story, the song, we didn't read the passages before it, but here, here's two things. We actually heard, heard bits of them in the, in the children's program. One is that the angel comes to Mary and announces God's power is going to do something remarkable in your life, that you will be pregnant and you will give birth to a child. Now, this is confusing. Mary's young. She's unmarried. She's a virgin. How will this be? She's utterly confused because who could do this? And God says, well, or the angel says the power of God will do this. And Mary, your cousin, now Mary's on the opposite spectrum. She's older, unable to have children. He says, your, Mary, your, your cousin Elizabeth is now far along in her pregnancy. So they don't live close by. Mary seems to have not seen her for months, but she runs, travels a distance to see Elizabeth. So she had faith. She believed the message of Gabriel, but she was confused by it. How could it be? When she sees pregnant Elizabeth, Elizabeth who had been unable to conceive, now that seems impossible, and yet it's not really impossible. It's highly unlikely. So highly unlikely, it would be safe to call that impossible. Mary sees what God did in Elizabeth so highly unlikely that she couldn't imagine it. Then now God promised to me that the actual impossible will happen. She already believed it, but in seeing pregnant Elizabeth, now that faith was solidified. And the song is the response of that interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. Now, what she already believed, the joy, but she didn't understand, she still doesn't understand, but the sign there in Elizabeth gives her this strength. And that's what we're called to, believe that God has always visited every generation. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He sees the struggling, particularly the people of this earth, and he will come. And so we call out in prayer, come, Lord of might, and give me strength. And what we're told is, is that is never uh, an inflated hope. 
but that is a hope that, that attaches us to Jesus. And the experience might be by faith. Sometimes it feels like things are getting worse before they get better. But God is merciful and God is mighty. He will be merciful to us as we struggle, as we hate things getting worse at times. But what we're told is that there will be an escalation. So, so Paul Miller says this in his book. He says, if rising is embedded in dying, as it is in the Christian story, the story of Jesus, if rising is embedded in dying, then not running from the customized dying that God permits in our lives is essential for resurrection. And his point there, not running from what he describes as the customized dying God permits in our lives. So God permits it. He doesn't try to explain why it happened. He's not saying it's good. He's not saying, uh, he's not trying to give any explanation. He's saying for some reason, things are happening, but it's, it's customized. Your own struggles may be somewhat unique to you. But the attitude of the humble is, well, well, I'm not here to magnify myself. My goal is if the Lord is magnified in my life, then there is hope for me. So, so what do I do? Well, there's a, there's a change. Instead of saying everything has gone wrong, we realize, well, everything went wrong for Jesus, or it seemed. And yet when he descended, that's when he showed us the greatness of God. That's why he's inviting and welcoming to me in my weakness. And God exalted him. So now it's not that everything is going wrong. It's everything that I want, everything I expect, everything I hoped, everything I can control perhaps is going wrong. But God is calling me to follow Jesus in this. That doesn't mean it's good. That doesn't mean we know how it's going to end. But it means if my job is not to magnify myself, but if I let go of that, and my hope is that in this, I can make God great. If I could look for God in his power and mercy, then somehow I could be confident, no matter how this unfolds, on the other side of it, there is exaltation. That's the pattern of Jesus. And what, what we're promised is not an easy life. What we're promised is if the humble trust in Jesus, they will be exalted. And so in the testing, where the things that have provided strength are losing air, what we're told is, have this attitude in yourselves, like that of Jesus. Seek to magnify God. Look for his greatness. Seem to act so that the greatness of God will be seen more than the greatness of yourself. And if you do that consistently, life's not going to be amazing. Life's not going to be awesome. But you will be magnified. You will be exalted. Because that's the pattern of Christ. Christ became small to enter our small lives. And Christ was exalted and says, now follow me. And your life will be made great. So this Christmas season, maybe you will sing like Mary. Maybe you get it in a way that Mary did. God will show you something that makes you rejoice no matter what's going on. The Lord is my strength and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you find yourself by tonight saying, wow, it sounded good this morning, but I'm already discouraged. I'm already feeling weak. There's a Christmas song for you. Come, O Lord of might. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel will come to you. Oh, Israel, Israel is God's people. Are you among God's people? Well, if you are and you're weak and you're vulnerable and you're failing, the God of might will come to you. And so rejoice this year for whatever God will show you in his mercy to you. Be thankful for it and wait. He will, he will hear your prayers. Uh, let's pray to him now. Our Father, we're a large enough gathering right now that some people are having a great week. Some people are having a miserable week. Some people have done okay in recent months. Some people have had the hardest year of their lives. And yet we're all invited to assemble this morning for worship. 
not because any one of us is great or not because any one of us has earned a place at this meeting, but because Jesus became weak and lowly before he became exalted. And you tell us to gather so that in our weakness, that as your humble servants, you will breathe the spirit into us that we will, we will be magnified, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Lord, we pray that you would come to us in might this Christmas season. But we also pray that you would remain merciful as you show yourself to us. Be our strength. And we pray especially with any in our community, any who are on this call now, even if it's the first time with us, those who come in weakness, those who come in fear, those who come overwhelmed, those who are sorrowful, those who have lost. Lord, we pray that you would send none of us away empty today, but that you would fill us with good things. Give us true riches by the power of your spirit that we would know that hope in you will not be in vain, uh, will not be in vain. So Lord, um, magnify yourself in our church and in, in the individuals in our gathering. And may we all rejoice this year uh, because Jesus has come into this world. As we long for his return, help us to have something of that joy while you call us now to follow him in the difficulties of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to pray a prayer together that will appear on the screen. Stay muted, but I invite you to pray it out loud. Um, and after we pray this, um, I'm just going to leave silence. Where do you need to, to, to bring your weakness to God? What do you need to let go of your sources of pride? And how do you find true strength today by taking hold of God more deeply? We're going to pray this out loud and then in the silence, be specific and sit still before